Majesty, it's the revolution. You've got to escape. They're storming the palace. So that's the noise, the revolution. <laughs> My father, the man you pardoned. Ah, oh, thank you, yeah, thank you. I thought I'd never live to see the day when I would once again. Yes, yes. Dead! <laughs> what fool put a carpet on the wall? Hurry up! You're not as tall as you used to be, I was young. that we could be calling still any goon uh or or good pod i suppose um (laughs) (laughs) uh, because it's a bit of a crossover it's it's a it's 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 a meeting of two great podcasts he said modestly because i am joined by uh my very good friends robert johnson and christopher webb hello chaps Hello, folks. <laughs> Hello there. We are creating podcast history tonight, aren't we? It's going to be very exciting. Uh, yeah, there, yeah, there was a big pause then. I don't know what you were waiting for. Some sort of... We, um, we, we were looking at each other with a, with a pregnant pause. Yeah, we were yeah. both doing the, no, you go first. You go first. <laughs> we're just awfully polite. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so for, for listeners who don't know, you two are the hosts of the, the superb and, and, and influential, because it influenced me, <laughs> Still, any good podcast? Mm, wonderful. D- d- does one of you want to just give a quick pricey in terms of you know what what the podcast's all about? Um, so, still any good is the podcast where we run the risk of ruining our childhoods by revisiting fondly remembered films. Mm. Um, Chris and I are both, uh, I guess the word would be failed screenwriters yeah tales. <laughs> yep that's true and uh we came together this was this was a means of kind of creative expression i guess and, and getting our cinematic frustrations out um about five years ago now it is five years yeah, yeah. so it's quite galling that you know we influenced you and i mean you've had jeffrey holland on your show <laughs> oh, no. all, the, all the greats uh, <laughs> well, I actually I I stumbled upon your podcast by purely by accident, which is how which is the best way to to, to do it really, uh, because believe it or not, <laughs> I was looking for podcasts which had covered that great uh, art house film Digby, the biggest dog in the world, <laughs> <laughs> and we covered it. We covered it in a lot of things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and by the way, eagle-eared listeners may have may have picked up that uh, one of uh, w- one of my two guests has a bit of an accent which is similar to mine. Um, so, so, chaps, where are you based? Well, we're based in New Zealand. We are based on the North Island in a region called Hawke's Bay, which is the lovely sunny bit on the east coast in yes. the town of Napier. Yeah, but you, but your accent, Chris, uh, you're from somewhere welsh aren't you originally i am i am welsh i'm from pembrokeshire the west the west coast of wales yeah so i suppose with my british accent and rob's kiwi accent you're kind of like our child <laughs> our child would sound like Tyler. <laughs> yeah yeah by the way you feel like the halfway point yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm one of those kiwis 
who left when he was young and I'd never visited the North Island in my life. Oh, um, yeah. I barely left uh, Greymouth, <laughs> to be honest. Um, wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Think about that. Um, They're all like that there. <laughs> Greymouth uh, is nice, though. I like is. Greymouth. Greymouth's very nice, actually, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's nice to leave. <laughs> well, I, I I stopped for lunch there last last year. That was the first and only time I've ever been there. I thought it was nice right. for the hour that I was there. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> cards on the table, Tom. All right. Uh, so obviously, the, 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 this is a podcast called Goon Pod. Uh, people tune in. People tune in. People tune into it. Listen to old man Adams here. People download it and listen to it and they reasonably expect it to contain content which pertains to or is in alignment with the goons so you know goon show or peter sellers movie milligan tv show or book or whatever um <clears throat> like for a, a fortnight ago we discussed michael benteen for an hour and we've done entire shows on harry seekham so you get you know you get the drift um but today we are talking about a film which which does just qualify <laughs> for inclusion on this podcast um, even though it has approximately 93% less goon content than previous <laughs> topics we've covered. <laughs> and if, um, and if, it, hang on, let me just check something. Hang on. Let me just check. Um, yeah. Okay. I just checked and we did cover the film Rent-A-Dick last year, ah, which, which had okay. a, which had a, a short Milligan cameo. However, it also featured Benteen in a small role. Okay, so 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 that was that 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 qualified slightly more, I think, than this film. However, this film does still qualify. But pish, you know, because it, my listeners are comedy fans, so and yeah, I'm sure yours are too. So it will be, you know, people will be delighted to hear that this week we are talking about Mel Brooks' uh, 1981 hmm, classic, <laughs> History of the World <laughs> Part One. Well, it's it's a film. It's a film. <laughs> Is it? Would you mm. call it a film? Yeah, well, mm, yeah. before we start on before we start talking about it uh because i've been wanting to get you guys on for the longest time in fact chris last time uh, i was on with you on your podcast without rob um, that's right yeah not very long ago actually we had a, a lovely chat about tales of the unexpected indeed i was very very disappointed to not be able to make it to that show because i had contracted covid for the second time in two months Mm. And I, I listened to the episode um, uh, about a week after it came out, and it was such a good episode. I, I was, it was a really cool experience being able to enjoy an episode as a listener and just kind of enjoy what I was listening to and not kind of cringing at my own participation in it. Where I hadn't cut out your best lines yeah, to make yeah, myself sound better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, you always do that. I do, yeah. yeah. And um, no, it made me kind of experience a bit of FOMO that I wasn't there. You didn't feel too cuckolded. I didn't. I, I yeah, I did tell Chris that I felt a little bit like um, I can't remember the analogy I used. I felt like Woody Harrelson or something on an indecent indecent proposal, proposal yeah. or yeah, just mm. just like the the cut <laughs> in the corner of the room watching the his wife get him going over. <laughs> did you stick around for the borderline libelous content at the end? By the way. I did, yeah. Had I, you heard I that story? Did you, had you I did. I did bleep his name out, so I, I assume you knew oh, yeah. who we were talking about. Yeah. Remind me. It was, a, it, it was to do with a jar of mom or Vegemite. Oh mm. yeah, 
I won't... In, may he rest in peace. Oh, he's dead now. So you can't label the yeah. dead. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> keep it in. An icon of New Zealand broadcasting. May he mm. rest in yeast. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Tyler, you were also on our jerk episode as well. Yeah. Great film. Great film. Mm. So yes, we've it, enjoyed your company before. Yeah. And by the way, it, the jerk was what, what year was I was gonna say the jerk was around the same time as this. It was a couple of years earlier, wasn't it? Than this than this. Like seventies, I think. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um but <clears throat> but I wanted to get you two on um for, for a long time, but but it's fair to say, and look, you know, I, I won't hold it against you, but neither of you are particularly keen or interested in the goons, um, but you have interest in I guess them as individuals because witness the fact that you've done a, a whole episode on Digby. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, but I managed I managed to uh, tempt you on by uh, waving uh, this film in front of you and saying, "Look, you know this has got a little bit of Spike Milligan in it, so it qualifies for this podcast." What about it, chaps? And uh, and so here we are. But have either of you got? Yeah, before we kick off, just want to ask, you know, have either of you got any particular fondness memories? Uh, of Milligan, Sellers, or even Seekham? Absolutely. Um, I think, for me, I, I know I mentioned this to you before, Tyler, my, my knowledge of the goons as a thing, as the goon show, mm. sort of came to me in reverse. I think with, like, a lot of your guests have said that the first person to put me onto it was my dad. Yeah. Where, when I was a kid, he'd read stories and he'd put on funny voices, and it was only much, much later <laughs> that I realised he was doing Eccles and Henry Crun and stuff like that. Um, but when I was about probably about 10 or 11, I remember my brother and me were in the garden. We were we were like reciting another young ones or Monty Python or something. And our next door neighbor, this old lady called Flo, which is a great name for a sporting character. She said, mm. oh, you might like this. And she gave me um, a paperback of more goon show scripts. OK, which I thought was a very, very lovely gift. And when I saw the the sort of the caricature drawings on the front, which is the one with Spike and Peter Sellers is sitting on Harry Seacombe. Yeah, I recognised them straight away just from the drawings and thought, oh, I didn't realise they were in this thing called The Goon Show. Um, and so I started reading the scripts and there were some quite good ones. It's like Ned's Atomic Dustbin's in there, um, uh, The Pink Oboe, Taybridge Disaster, that kind of thing. Yeah. And if, if you've not listened to them, they're, they're not the easiest things to read um, because there's a lot of sort of sound effect, sound effect, and it's incredibly yeah. chaotic. Yeah. Um, and I think... I was probably about 20 before I heard my first episodes at Radio 4 had started repeating them again. And so mm -hmm. I started listening to a few sort of going along. So I do have a, a bit of a knowledge and obviously knew from a very early age who, who Peter Sellers was from things like the Pink Panther, obviously, and, and the party always used to be on BBC two constantly. Mm. So often remember that. And I'm, I'm not, sure. not, not anymore. Not, not so often now. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Spike Milligan, yeah, definitely, because he was always on stuff like Tiz Wars and, and me and my dad used to watch the Q series going through the 70s and the 80s and stuff like that. So um, and I, I will drop it in there now. I have met Spike Milligan. <laughs> what were the well, when I say met, it was a book signing. <laughs> ah. um, so I, so I, sp I spoke to him briefly. Uh, he was doing that his version of Black Beauty. So it was it was in the mid 90s. So it was quite close to the end for him. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he didn't really have that much to say. But at least I was in the same room with him and said hello, and he said hello, thank you. So to me, that counts as a meeting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What about you, Rob? Uh, well, I, I suspect I'm going to be the Michael Bentine of 
of this podcast and that I'm, I'm probably only going to have about 20% of the contributions to the whole run. Um, for me, The Goon Show, never listened to a whole episode. Mm-hmm. Certainly aware of its um, importance as a, as a hugely influential cultural touchstone. I, I'd, I'd heard it coming up um, you know, as, as an influence on the Beatles and Python and, and even on uh, sort of artists, New Zealand artists and musicians that that I know. Um, and yeah, I'm totally aware of Peter Sellers' work and, and Spike Milligan. And I think, um, I think you mentioned this, uh, Tyler, as well, that here in New Zealand, Bad Jelly the Witch yeah. had, had uh, quite a lot of yeah. influence here. And My kids was, went to see the stage play yeah, last year. Yeah, yeah and, and and the you know the audio that that Milligan did. I I think every school kid for sort of a few generations was exposed to it. You know, early on in, in their schooling. Yeah, um, I think when they have you know. They have the book day where you come dressed as your favourite book actor. In, in my kids' classes, there's always two or three bad jellies. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but I think probably the most I've ever seen of a, or heard of a, a goon episode was in um, The Life and Death of Peter Sellers. <laughs> no, oh, right. Scene with Steve Pemberton and. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ed Tudapole, Chris. Ed Tudapole, wow. As, as Milligan. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh um, wow, that's interesting. They get the Russia sellers. Yeah, it really nailed the unlikable part. <laughs> <laughs> Not the youth side of him so much. No. At one point, we get Jeffrey Rush dressed up as Miriam Margulies dressed up as his mother. <laughs> Try and unpick that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but I will say, Tyler, that since you started doing this podcast, I have started listening to them again. Okay. Um, because Good. the majority, the majority of them are on Spotify. I've never been lucky enough to have them on tape or record because growing up in a very small town, there was nothing like that in our libraries. But thank heavens for Spotify. So uh, yeah. the one I listened to most was um, the Phantom Head Shaver of Brighton. Ah, great one. Which yeah, I yeah. thought was terrific. Yeah, really, yeah. really good. Yeah, it's a classic, classic era. That one. <laughs> Moses went to the mountain, and God spoke unto him. Moses, this is the Lord thy God commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. A deaf man could hear you. What? Nothing, I punished you, forget it. Oh, Lord, why have you chosen me? What would you have me do for you? I shall give you my laws, and you shall take them unto the people. Yes, Lord! Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me. Oh, hear me. All pay heed. The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these 15. Ten, ten commandments for all to obey. Um, In terms of this film, History of the World Part One. So, as, as I mentioned, we are talking about it because it does include, uh, in a small, in a very small but very memorable scene, Spike Milligan. <laughs> <laughs> some might say the best scene. Yeah, yeah. some might. In fact, yes, indeed. 
well, okay. Had you guys seen this film? Obviously, I guess you'd seen this film before, had you? Well, yeah, this is why I think you mentioning earlier that this should be still any goon or, or good pod, mm. because this would very, very easily qualify for our mm. podcast, because I saw this in the early 80s. It's the first Mel Brooks film I saw, so I would have been about 12 when I saw this. Right. I had a cousin who he was a little bit of a wheeler dealer and he could get you any anything you wanted, and he'd always bring us loads of pirate videos. Some of them were horror films or video nasties. And then he brought us this history of the world part one. So I'd never heard of it, never heard of Mel Brooks, but I had heard of Airplane, etc. Yeah. Um, so when we watched it, I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Hmm. I thought it was absolutely unbelievable. And then as I got more and more into Mel Brooks, this is kind of the one where people go, oh, you know, everyone says they love Young Frankenstein or Blazing Saddles. My favourite is history of the world part one. It's almost like that pointless answer that people give. Yeah. And so I'd always sort of clung to it as, oh, it's the best one that nobody really knows about. But I hadn't probably seen it since the late 80s. And I'd often wondered if it had retained its quality. So it is one that's been quite close to me since I was a nipper. Yeah. What about you, Rob? Yeah, I saw this on the TV about, probably about ooh, 25, 30 years ago. Mm. Um, and, and I was a huge mel brooks fan um uh, the first mel brooks one i actually saw was to be or not to be oh uh, yeah which was an old one but mm. I, I enjoyed it and um blazing saddles was, was probably uh, one of the most sort of transcendent viewing experiences i'd ever had because it was on late on a saturday night when i was a kid on the tv i was watching it with my dad and my brother in, in the room and it was just the first film i'd watch where and it was the baked beans farting scene oh yeah and that, mm. i mean yeah, never heard of it no. <laughs> i mean it's about as puerile as you can <laughs> as you can get but the three of us were just you know silent cry laughing um and i couldn't believe it sort of like i think i was probably about seven or eight i just couldn't believe that a proper hollywood movie was was Featuring grown men eating baked beans and farting, <laughs> and um, I fell in love with Mel Brooks films following that moment. And but when I saw this on TV, I think I'm pretty sure I'd I'd missed the, the early caveman sequence, and it was kind of like into the ancient Rome sequence. And I actually got bored with this pretty quickly. It just didn't feel like the same quality that I'd seen in Blazing Saddles or Young Frankenstein or even High Anxiety. So even as a sort of 12, 13-year-old when I watched this, yeah, it just didn't feel like it It was it was up there with his best work. Mm-hmm. I'm similar to you guys. I probably last saw this film in the early 90s, I think. But I watched it a lot. I've got a feeling I had it taped because so much of it is familiar to me. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I think I saw Blazing, yeah, Blazing Saddles was the first Mel Brooks film I ever saw because there was a time, it would have been around 86, 87, that TVNZ would play, I think it was a Thursday night, they would play a comedy film. Yeah, uh, they go through these phases of like, yeah, the Wednesday night movie or Thursday night movie yeah. or Monday night movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and because t- I remember talking about Blazing Saddles at school the next day, the, the scene that fascinating i mean i thought it was hilarious when i saw it and the, the scene that jumped out at me as being 
unlike anything I'd ever experienced before in terms of comedy, <laughs> was the bit where the guys are riding through the town. Um, you know, uh, well, that's the end of this suit. You know that that scene. Yeah. Um, but, but it's the it's the bit where they they knock over what looks like this outhouse, and there's this guy, naked guy, fully covered in shaving foam. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was soap suds, but I like oh, your... soap suds. Yeah. Whatever. Oh, right. Wow. <laughs> whatever it was. <laughs> um, and, and obviously, Young Frankenstein, uh, I, both of those films are right up there. And, and, you know, I watch them still regularly and they still hold yeah, up. Yeah. And I think yeah. I have watched High Anxiety and I have watched Silent Movie and not felt, mm. felt the same affection for them. And I think, dare I say it, I think the problem lies in the fact that Mel Brooks is trying to be a star in those films. And, and yes. particularly in this film, he's putting himself front and centre, whereas in Blazing Saddles, yes, he was in it, in, in a very memorable part, but he's very much down the cast list. And it's it's all about Gene Wilder and Cleavon Little. And, and obviously in Young Frankenstein, it's Gene Wilder and uh, Peter Boyle and Marty Feldman. Um, so I think I think part of the problem is Mel Brooks. He's a very funny guy. He's a very good performer, but I don't think he can carry a film. He's not a leading man, is he? No, no. no. And this feels like a vanity project. Well, yes. in in a number of ways, I think one of the, I mean this film does have many problems, but I think one of the major ones is that I think this is the first film that Mel Brooks has written solo since the producers. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, with the exception, I think, 12 Cheers, but that was, that's an adapted screenplay, so at least he had the story. With, with all the others from Young Frankenstein, all the way through, he'd had co-writers or a team of writers. This is the mm -hmm. first one he'd done himself. And yeah. it's clear that all he wants to do is tell jokes. Yeah. There's no stories, there's no plot. It's not even a sketch movie. It's, it's a movie that has a lot of jokes in it. And sometimes that works. Mm. Um, I, I mean, it's something that a lot of comedy scholars always say is if you take a joke, if you take jokes away from a comedy film, does it still work as a film? And this one clearly doesn't because that's mm. all it's got. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and he's, no, he's not a Steve Martin or an Eddie Murphy. No. Yeah, he just no. doesn't quite have... He's just a little cute man. He's just a little <laughs> cute man. He doesn't quite have you know, that leading mm. man yeah. appeal in that way. Would this film have been better? I'm sure it would have been if it had had... Uh, Mel Brooks maybe instead of playing six roles or however many he played, maybe just playing Comicus, you know, the the the, the stand up philosopher and oh, having... no, that's the worst bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's the longest bit. I, I think him playing Moses is perfect. True, yeah. because he he does he does that as the two thousand year old man. Yeah, he's yeah. even talking to Carl Reiner when he's Carl doing Reiner. it. Carl Reiner is the no, voice of God, yeah. um, and that's great. That's that is a fantastic joke. It is brilliant, but. All the, the lengthy scenes. I, I don't think it works with him as King Louis or the Piss Boy. I, I don't think it works the with him Berkeley as Comicus. Bit. The Buzzy Berkeley bit is outstandingly the, good. The, yeah, it's top. a bit overlong, but yeah. it's really, yeah. really good. It's yeah, that bit's classy. Yeah, and the rest of it isn't. Yeah. Well, that bit, that that bit. Do you think could easily have fitted into or fit into two years down the line um, the meaning of life? The yeah. Inquisition bit. Yeah. Uh, quite apart from the the Spanish Inquisition connections to Monty Python. But yeah, it's a really Rome... good, um, really good comparison actually, and it doesn't do this movie any favors that that comparison. Mm. But it is you can see it's a similar thing that they're going for, and the meaning of life is much more successful and 
It's got a lot more successful sketches. A lot it? more successful sketches. Yeah. Um, you, you can't help it. With the Roman scene, you think you're going to get the life of Brian. Yeah, you do. Mm. And you, I was wondering, I was thinking this, because life of Brian's only two years earlier. Yeah. So he would have yeah. been filming this with life of Brian probably still playing in cinemas, perhaps. I don't know. But it's still it would have been very, very, very fresh. Yeah. Very fresh. You'd have thought he would have chosen a different period. You know, to, to I cover. guess he's, he was deliberately trying to parody the swords and sandals. No, he's trying to do the, he's trying to do the Griffith, the DeMille yeah, kind of thing, yeah. which is interesting because they're very, very grand and you can see the production value. Yeah. Whereas even though this cost 11 million, which was quite a lot of money at the time, it's kind of got the production value of a carry on film. There's, there's a couple <laughs> of nice matte paintings. The matte paintings are wonderful, yeah. which is why he did it. Yeah. Because he'd done the matte paintings before with, I did write his name down, but I can't find it. Um, but yeah, that, that's why he wanted to use more matte painting. Yeah, because like the Spanish Inquisition bit looks great. Yeah, um, but that's a set. It's a very yeah. expensive set. Uh, there, is, is there not a the big painting stuff? The, the external is a matte. Yeah, painting. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah but the rest yeah. Is, is a yeah. million dollar set. But yeah, that that Rome sequence, it sticks out like dog's balls because it's the longest by <laughs> far, and it's like a little mini. It's the only one that really tries to have kind of like a sort of a three-act structure almost like a really truncated three-act structure yeah um you know even tries to get like a get supporting characters in there and a, and a kind of an arc and oh and there's, there's almost and a love story as well which there's is almost like a love cringe. story yeah oh it yeah. is it's very cringe which is why again i don't think he was the right choice for mm. the lead you could yeah. have chosen someone younger who was a yeah. bit more of a match for Miriam. Mm-hmm. And it's probably the, you know, when he's doing his little stand-up routine. Mm. And there's some, you know, it's really charismatic in, in, in that bit. But there's, there's just like some really dated kind of homophobia that kind of... Ooh, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Creeps out. like that. It's quite jarring when he just sort of turns to the camera and that almost like candid kind of bit and says, the little yeah. slur gets it. And, mm-hmm. you know, like... <laughs> which again i think that's why this differs from <laughs> from blazing saddles where yeah. th- there's a lot of slurs in there mm. but you know the people who are saying them are wrong <laughs> yeah. and it's bad to say yeah, those things yeah. that's kind of the point yeah but with it's this good spirited slurs yeah whereas this i think this film is really mean-spirited yeah there's a lot yeah. of cheap jokes oh yeah. well when we get to the the french revolution sequence jesus the um the king um, and the queen and the whole gangbang. Oh, God. And, oh. Uh, and his general behaviour towards ladies of the court. Jeez. Yes. He's a menace to cleavage. And you just think that he wrote and directed himself doing that. Yeah. Well, it's good to be the king. Yeah. He's absolutely right. It's good yeah. to be the director. It's By good the to way. be the writer. Yeah. By the way, I mean, we're racing ahead here, but just on that, it's good to be the king. He says that that's his catchphrase, Louis the yeah. 16th in this film. And yes, the tagline it. of the movie Three Kings. Is, Is it really? It? I, I believe so. Oh. All right. Well, see, and I haven't had time to check this, and and you've just reminded me because I was watching this film and I was thinking, where have I, where have I heard that before? What does that remind me of when he says it's good to be the king? And then I realised it was. Did, did you ever see Chris? I don't suppose it was on in, in New Zealand, but uh, the Fast Show. Of course. Oh, the Fast Show. Yeah. Oh, it was that was huge. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay, so it was okay. on. It was on late on a Friday night on Channel One. Okay. Yeah. Well, there was a there was this character played by um, God. What's his name? Um, 
Oh, Not the guy, uh, Charlie Brian, Higson, Simon Brian, Day. Brian Pern. Um, what's his name? Simon Day. Simon Day. Yeah. Character played by Simon Day as this, I think, medieval king with all these courtiers around him. And his catchphrase is, I love being king, or it's great being king. Yeah, oh, looking straight at the yeah. camera. Okay. And there was, there was a few of these. It was like a recurring gag of him just sort of saying, it's great to be the king. I'll, if I can find a clip, I'll stick it in. <laughs> wow. um, but I was thinking, oh, that, that's to me, that's a direct lift from this. That's, uh, yeah. Were they yeah. going for homage? I don't think so. That's, that's lifts, so. yeah, that's, yeah. That's theft. Yeah. Uh, but, um, that's, well, it sounds like Paul White is going, I'm nicking it and stealing the catchphrase. <laughs> yeah. Right, bring on me tumbler. Let's see the fat man fall over. <laughs> just love seeing fat people fall over. It really is the funniest thing. Right, chop his legs off. <laughs> now hold up, Brian. Don't do that. Put him in one of those iron masks. You know, the French are always using them. Fantastic. <laughs> I love being king. It really is the best job in the world. Get it back to Moses. I think that bit is perfect that old testament little sequence is perfect that you could lift that out of this right. film and put that into any comedy anthology yeah it's brilliant film or whatever but even the callback is really good too when he parts the, the waters of the the stream yes. of the river and you yes. find out that he's getting held up yeah oh and and <laughs> the, the 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 moses sketch or the Moses bit where he breaks one of the tablets. So we said we're down from fifteen to ten commandments. <laughs> yeah. um, did you did you know what the there was a there was a couple of legible commandments on the broken tablet? Did you pick up on what those were? Oh, they were things like is it don't drink, don't smoke. It's something as obvious as that. It's not um, don't swear, don't impregnate, um, <laughs> don't laugh, and uh, <clears throat> don't buy. Apparently. <laughs> Which you'd, 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 you'd think he'd um you'd think he'd the, nice. yeah come on guys um and obviously he ropes in his his old boss Sid Caesar into this uh, yes yeah. yeah miscast you think I I think so and he looks the part but he he's got a good face he's got a things good, like that he's got a good face but it's a shame he's not allowed to use his voice yeah yeah it true. doesn't play to his Strings, I, mm. I think. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think you've hit you've hit onto something because a majority of this film does seem to be a thank you to various, especially American comedy yes. stars of the fifties and sixties. There are so many cameos and so many people like Sid Caesar or whoever that are just scattered throughout this whole film. So yeah. it, it does have the feel of almost like an end of year gang show where they've just brought everybody in just to do what they want. I, I think with this film. There's lines in it that stuck with me. And I think these are lines that probably in the playground at school, we would parrot, if you know what I mean. Um, like, um, I think the most memorably is, is again from the Roman sequence. Um, what does he say? Goodbye, head. Hello, balls. Something like that. <laughs> Remember that bit? Um, but, I um, love um, that's nuts. NVTS nuts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, the best bit in the Roman sequence is the um, is the bit with B. Arthur. Would you agree? Yeah, that's she's great. She's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The unemployment um, yeah. cue. Yeah. <laughs> or the, 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 yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> yeah so, so he's, he's so comicus played by mel brooks is a stand-up philosopher and he said he describes his role as i coalesce the vapor of human experience into a viable and logical comprehension oh a bullshit artist <clears throat> did you bullshit last week no did you try to bullshit last week yes did you bullshit last week? Did you try to bullshit last week? <laughs> yes. <laughs> really good. <laughs> and it's still relevant today. That yeah, kind of... absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you think, oh, this is going to be great. It's starting off really well. We've had the brilliant Moses sketch. We've had some of this really fun stuff with Comicus. Yeah. And then we get the rest of the film. Yeah. Well, uh, I do have to say one of my favourite gags is in the caveman sequence when... Um, after Sid Caesar's character is unceremoniously speared one of his, his fellow kin. And um, Orson Welles' narration said, oh, they approach death with a degree of awe. Oh, and yeah. then they're just standing around the body going, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that was my first, uh, <laughs> that was my first laugh out loud moment in this yeah. film. <laughs> Obviously, Echoing what happened with Blazing Saddles, Richard Pryor was was meant to be up for this film. Yeah. He, was, mm. he was meant to be the the, the character. Was it what's he called? Joseph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Played by Gregory Hines, who was a who'd oh, been a yeah, dancer. It's Jeffrey Hines. Jeffrey Hines. He <laughs> was in a rainbow, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> the sauce making family. Now Jeffrey from Rainbow as Josephus. <laughs> no. That Can you see good. it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the feathers. <laughs> oh, God. Bless him. I know it's beneath me, yeah. yeah. But Richard Pryor, so so this happened, so he was meant to, he was meant to be in this film and then he had that terrible accident where he, he I shouldn't laugh, lit himself on fire while freebasing cocaine. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did that on the Friday and shooting was about to, to commence on the Monday. Right. It was that, that sort of short time frame. And, and Mel Brooks, I think, was about to, to postpone production because he didn't have a Josephus. But Madeleine Kahn said, oh, she'd just seen this guy Gregory Hines on Broadway. So they flew him in for an audition and he turned up for work on Monday to start shooting. He was, yeah. he was, he was I actually good. think he's really good. <laughs> the, the character is incredibly one note and does get tiresome. But the... The first couple of minutes when he's in and he does a little sand shuffle and I think he's really good, yeah. But what he's been, what he's been given, like every cliche surrounding black men and black culture. Oh well, and, I, uh, yeah. I wrote yeah, down. <clears throat> I wrote down. Of course, it would be him that would find the weed plantation. Yeah, yeah. of course it would. Roman be. Red. Yeah, um, uh, but I think. Um, well, I don't think I know. Obviously. Pryor was meant to play Sheriff Bart in Blazing Saddles, didn't it? Wasn't he? Mm, and yeah. uh, and and I can't remember why he didn't. Was he arrested or something? I can't remember what it was. Uh, I think he was uninsurable. The uninsurable wouldn't, wouldn't insure him. Yeah. Yeah. So it wouldn't have they... been good in that either. No. no. Yeah. Cleveland Little was was yeah. perfect in that. Yeah, but <clears throat> we've seen Pryor up against Gene Wilder a couple of times, and uh, they work well together. Could you not have seen him working with? Gene Wilder in Blazing Saddles. But it wasn't meant to be Gene Wilder. It was Gig Young. Gene Wilder did a did a Gregory Hines. He did oh. the last minute when Gig Young pulled out. Gig Young, who yeah. 
who you've thrown me now, but Gig Young. <laughs> here's a here's a fact for you, right? Oh, this is good. okay. Gig Young is is not his real name. That actor, I can't remember what his real name is, but that I'm actor. So young. Gig someone else. <laughs> no, <laughs> let's call him. Let's call Gig him uh, Jimmy Jack Muckety. Okay, so Jack okay. Muckety. Jack Muckety was a young actor in the 50s and was in this film, which was really successful. I can't remember what it was called, but he was playing a character called Gig Young in the film, right? And the film was so successful that the newspapers and whatnot were referring to, to the actor by his character name, Gig Young. <laughs> so he decided to change his name. Amazing. Yeah. That's like when William Roach was on trial and all the witnesses were calling him Ken Barlow. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like Bruce Willis changed his name to John McClane. Yeah. <laughs> David Hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Die Hard. Die Hard, the Welsh. <laughs> John McClane. A <laughs> um, couple of standout performers in the Roman scene. Uh, Madeleine Kahn, who just mentioned before. Uh, wonderful and beautiful as well and i mean i shouldn't yeah, yeah uh, that, that i is, love her I, yeah. I fell in love with her yeah from as soon as i saw blazing saddles just yeah, yeah. i i i do i i yeah. love her i do uh, yeah. it really guts me that some of her last work was playing the kooky friend in cosby was she oh yeah it was i can't even remember the premise was he like a retired Private Eye, or was he? I, what was he? I have no he idea. Lived in like a brownstone and probably lectured people on parenting, and yeah. <laughs> he liked the jazz. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Madeline Kahn was sort of like his neighbour, sort of kooky neighbour. She strikes and... me as someone who was never, never given a big enough. She was, she was, ah. she was never treated as a big star, and she was, and she, she never. Well, she was a... twice Academy Award nominated, wasn't she? She was, a nom she was nominated for Lily Munchstock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And something else that, like, not one of her big hit films, but... Oh, was it something it was... like um, What's Up, Doc, or something? She was a supporting no. character. I don't... Maybe. No, I think, when, I, uh, when I read it, I, I don't even think I'd heard no, okay. of the movie. But it was well. Best Supporting Actress both times, yeah. Okay, well... But, um, she, but she is one of those, whatever she is in, she is the best thing in it. Yeah. Oh, one with one exception. With one exception. By the way. A yellow beard. Huh? Yellow beard. With that accent. <laughs> oh, I think she's great in yellow beard. Again, for yeah. what she's been given, which is yeah. basically rape jokes. Um, <laughs> Apologising. Yeah. Yeah. I think she handled, she holds herself up quite well. Yeah. Referring to rape as a little cuddle. Yeah. Mm. Mm. You guys have done yellow beard, haven't you? We, have, we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was so, a heartbreaking experience for me. In fact, that would have been that would have been another. In fact, that is very closely aligned with this film, in, in as much as it does have a very small Spike Milligan. It does, it does scene yeah. in it, and and it does seem to be. Let's bring in all our friends, the comedians, yeah. to come in to fill the roles. It is a very similar film, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dom DeLuise, of course, as Emperor Nero. Um, I think he's quite good in this. He just he's just Dom DeLuise. He just comes in and does his little Dom DeLuise yeah. and disappears again. Mm. Yeah, he. Um, he just it does seem like he's just he's just got out of bit mel brooks just phones him up in the morning says can you come in and do a couple of hours filming and it's like he's just, yeah. just he's just st strolled up and he's just you know comes and does his thing and then goes off to play golf or whatever 
he's always playing the same role and it's the same year this comes out the same year as uh cannonball run which i haven't seen for for years and years and years oh he's the dun, dun, dun yeah. in cannonball captain, run yeah captain chaos is it yes yeah yeah um, it's made them out about a week before cannonball run they're very very similar release dates i think yeah and as you as you said um tyler madeline khan she's, for me it's like she's in a, a different movie she's sort of playing this kind of coked out it's quite a hip quite savvy performance well, she's yes. chewing gum all the way through <laughs> yeah. as well which is really funny and it just it feels i don't know a, a, like a, a bit of a smarter performance than kind of it feels more snl than yeah traditional mel brooks style slightly, comedy, doesn't it slightly more nuanced than what everyone else is doing Bob. yes your highness oh bob do i have any openings that this man might fit Whoa. well we could use another wine steward I got a great corkscrew. It's a hip crowd. <laughs> All right, we'll schlep them along. The whole miracle bit as well. Uh, it's it's kind of it, it is like he's trying to, like you say, Chris, it's it's gag, gag, gag. But then there's there's extended sequences where he's trying to actually uh, construct a plot and it just doesn't work. Uh, and as I say, that that borderline love story. It just felt, oh God, you yeah. should have just left that alone. Yeah. Well, he's, he's trying to construct a plot around the jokes rather than the other way around. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's never going to work. And then in the French Revolution sequence, which is even shorter, he sort of goes for the same thing. He sort of tries to construct this incredibly hurried romance between Jacques Garçon de Pisse, <laughs> the Piss Boy. Um, and Pamela Stevenson's character and just doesn't work at all and it's such an unfunny sequence that one as well it's tiresome it is and then he tries to rehash the kind of Blazing Saddles meta breaking the fourth wall gag by um with Josephus and, and Miracle turning up at the end yeah and acknowledging that they're in a film yeah yeah, yeah. he's re- he's recycled gags as well because back to the Roman sequence is the whole walk this way bit which is a recycled gag from young frankenstein it is um and and it's used again in the inquisition sequence uh but um but you mentioned pamela stevenson there was a short period wasn't there in the early 80s off the back of i guess not the nine o'clock news being successful where they were desperate to make her a big star weren't they she was in yeah she was in she was going to be in um the next Pink Panther film uh, as Clouseau's love interest. And then Peter Sellers went and died. So oh, it, never, yeah. it never happened. But she was meant to be, I think he'd personally chosen her as being you know, his love interest for the film. Which Superman was she in? Superman 3. 3, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the film with Kenny Everett. Blood, there's a blood, blood in the, the house of death. death. Well, there's another connection to that coming up as well in okay. the film sequence too. But, Do you know, I've never seen she, that she, film. She, I would, I'd probably keep it that way. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's not great. It's not great. But she, she was also in one of the Robin Asquith adventures, oh. Stand Up Virgin Soldiers. Oh, okay. she was, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with, with a lot of other... I think Tracy Ullman's in that as well. Um, and George Layton, of course. Yeah. You can see her... I mean, obviously, she's playing a very button-up character in this film. But you can see little flashes of her comedic chops 
I mean, I mean, the whole... That's what you want to call them? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Words. Words. The whole premise, though, is the whole <laughs> hump or death. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. Only funny because she says humperdink. That's the only reason that's not even any way funny. That's not even because it's ridiculous. It's just because yeah. it's stupid. Did you, so with the French Revolution sequence, did you did you spot some familiar faces, either of you? I spotted I spotted Bella Emberg, <laughs> Nigel Hawthorne, <laughs> Andrew Sachs. Andrew Sachs was there, yeah. Um, there's also there's a guy who was talking to um, Bernays and Count de Monet, mm. and I, he's he's called Royce something, and he, he seemed to appear in every sitcom in the seventies and eighties. He looked very familiar to me, although yeah. I, he'd looked. Do you know who he reminded me of? And obviously, it wasn't. He reminded me of Rory Kinnear. He does actually, yeah. Mm. I can't remember his name. He's called like Royce something or other, and he always played like a little posh wimpy man yeah. in everything that he was in. And I, I can't remember his full name. And, and of course, uh, the actor Jonathan Cecil was playing chess with the king. Jonathan Cecil, who uh, that's him, often popped up in Carry On films playing big macho men. No. <laughs> Not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but no, I did recognise, which which takes it back to Bloodbath at the House of Death, is is one of the French maids that uh, that the king declares it's good to be the king is Cleo Rokos. Oh yes, Kenny Everett's. Uh, Right-hand lady. <laughs> yeah. She uh, was. Is she the one who's cleavage nuzzles? Yes, yeah. yeah. Very yeah. striking yeah, lady, yeah. Quite a thankless role, mm. that one. Just on cleavage. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're on the subject. Did you notice it? Was I, was I wrong in this? Oh, God, where's this going? You're thinking... Mm. Um, you can the, edit this out. It's fine. The, the bit where... back. So we're going back and forth here. Uh, the Roman Empire sequence, where... Yes where you've got the eunuchs and you've got Gregory Hines with that sort of feather thing going on. Yeah. And, and in order to um, check his, uh, his uh, qualification, yes, that's <laughs> authenticity it. as a eunuch, <laughs> uh, they get this, uh, this lady to dance very provocatively in front of, front of them. Um, now, yeah. she was wearing a prosthetic chest, wasn't she? God. <laughs> Like Ricardo Montalban in Wrath of Khan. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking more Blackadder and Melchit in Blackadder 2. <laughs> yeah. No, if you look at it, did you know did you not notice that? I can't was, say I noticed. It, it was clearly rubber. I didn't pause it like no, you no. <laughs> Was this was this the part of the VHS tape that got all scratchy? <laughs> Must be the tracking. It's the tracking. Yeah, but I was just wondering why that was. I couldn't. Not I couldn't work it. I had to buy this on yeah. iTunes to watch it for fifteen dollars. Mm. So yeah, I'm going to go back and and have a look just to come yeah, try and make I will. it. Well, next time I'm alone in the house, I'll go back and, and check it for myself as well. Yeah. But that's interesting. Bearing in mind. That everybody else in the room at the time were Playboy playmates. Yeah, mm. that they would choose an erotic dancer with comedy breasts. But I, yeah. but I couldn't work out what the what the thought process was behind that. To be fair, a lot of them probably had fake chests. Too. True. Mm. Mm. Um, I did like the sequence with the Last Supper. That was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, being quite taken by that as a as a kid actually when I watched that because it is beautifully done. Yeah. Although yeah. the G, the 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 Jesus jokes oh, I, are quite, I found that quite tiresome. <laughs> Jesus, yes. It did make me. It did make me giggle. I've forgotten it was John Hurt. I know. Well, I'm. I'm thinking because obviously, the year before this, uh, Mel Brooks had produced the Elephant Man film, mm. which is which yeah, is okay. one of my favourites of all time. And obviously, John Hurt was in that. Although you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't know. It was yeah, yeah, wasn't no. I don't remember seeing him. <laughs> you saying he was wearing a prosthetic face? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, so I'm wondering whether Mel Brooks, obviously off the back of that, got to know John Hurt and said, do you want to come and put a beard on and be Jesus for an afternoon? Yeah, I, I think John Hurt had done a couple of quite miserable films immediately prior to this, so um, he was looking for, for a bit of light relief, and I think yes. he jumped at the chance when it was offered to him. Yeah. When was I Claudius? Oh, that was 70, yeah. 76, I think, something like that. Yeah. yeah. John Hurt is fantastic actor just just to, oh, i'm just looking i've got like a i've got a, a wall of dvds i'm looking at now and i just like so many of them are my favorite films and that he is in like 10 rennington place man for yeah. all seasons oh, yeah. and, harry potter and the um no the one, the one that he's in yeah no, no. <laughs> um it's like alien the one with an alien in it yeah yeah I can't remember what it's called. Muppets in space. That's Muppets? it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh no, Spaceballs. <laughs> He's in Spaceballs. There you go. Is he in Spaceballs? He's in Spaceballs doing the alien skit. Yeah. Even in um, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, you know, that's a, a really nice. Mm. At all. Yes, as controls. Control. Yeah. Mm, mm. No. Do you think that this film, getting back to the history of the world, uh, well, by the way, history of the world part one, obviously. There's, there's no part two. Well, there was there was no part two, but apparently they're making they a are. TV series, aren't they? Yeah, um, yep. That's that's in production right now. Which I'm already bored of. Yeah. Just the idea of it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the, the idea spoils the joke. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know that they will get Mel himself to have a cameo or perhaps re re reprise a role or something, and uh, it just won't work, will it? Oh, I hope not. He's 95 or something. Mm, mm. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. yeah. But do you think this film suffered in the wake of films like Airplane, which was the year before? It, it just feels so much edgier, doesn't it? Mm. The Airplane. It feels so much more... The, the way that it had, you know, famously the... that followed the plot of... What was it? Failsafe? Zero, Zero Hour. Zero Hour, Zero Hour. yeah. And and hang, hung everything on that plot, and everything was played straight, straight by uh, the likes yeah. of Robert Stack and Wood Bridges. Mm. Like you say, yeah, I, I saw it not so long ago, and it still holds up. And this feels sort of antiquated next next to that. It feels it? a lot older. Yeah. yeah, it does. I mean, there's a few there's, there's a few little bits, a few gags, visual gags in this film that made me think immediately of Airplane. Oh, you trying to do an airplane? The bit where uh, Joseph says the streets are crawling with Roman soldiers. Cut to mm. scene of yeah. Roman soldiers crawling along the ground. They, that was like a, a pound shop airplane gag. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> or or the, the, the Vestal Virgins putting on the no entry signs. That, oh, that yeah. could be easily lifted from a, a, yeah. a Zucker Abrams sequel. Yeah. 
even yeah. to some extent the giant um joint yeah Josephus rolls yeah. you know that's although that could come out of a billy t james skit well, it's a bit cheech and chong but, isn't it yeah Oh, bloody hell, you better... Exp- I haven't heard... I haven't thought of Billy T. James for 30 years. Um, <laughs> I try no, not to. No, there's a name. <laughs> there's a name to, to conjure with. Um, is he still... Is he still a going concern? No, no, he died in the mid to late 90s, something. Yeah, mid-90s, I think, Billy T. James. Okay, okay. Is so he's... for our listeners, not in New Zealand. Yeah. But he was a hugely successful... Comedian, <laughs> There's former pause, then. singer. <laughs> well, I'm trying to. He, he was he was a bit of a renaissance man because he, he was a he, he was a sort of like a variety star. Um, before he did his sketch show, which is yeah, very yeah much I remember. And I've, again, I've not thought of this for possibly forty years. He was yeah. wasn't he the front man of this TV show called Radio Times? Yes, he was. Yeah, which and was he like and sort of. Yeah, it, it, was, and, yeah. it was like an old-timey sort of, sort of show. Yeah. Um, Is it like Maori Russ Abbott? Uh, possibly. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, I, like, there almost wouldn't be like a type of whitey without yeah. Billy yeah. James, you know, because he, he really played on... You watch it now and, you know, there's a whole lot of offensive stereotypes and cliches about... I've seen, I've seen the Rambo joke and yeah. what he calls himself. Yeah, yeah. about Māori, um, you know, which is our indigenous population here in New Zealand. But it was he was so such an icon here. Mm. And then, unfortunately, he kind of went down the road of doing a really middling sitcom. And, yeah. Anyway, can can <laughs> we address can we address the goon shaped elephant in the room, which is Spike Milligan yes. in this film, uh, who who. Turns up an hour and seventeen minutes into, into the film, <laughs> playing uh, Monsieur Rambo. No song for me today, Pierre. Hey, what's the matter with you? Cat got your tongue? I was right. He got his tongue, eyes, and beaks a lot. Oh, dearie me! Not so lucky, Pierre. Oh, you, you naughty pussy. Naughty, naughty pussy. And now to invent the catapult. You know, I'm not just saying this because I'm biased, but I, I think he is one of the standout characters in this. With, with the little that he's got to work with, I just think he's terrific. Uh, Do you think that he was just basically allowed to do what he wanted. Yes. Because it feels like what he does is so different, very much like the Madeline Carmel. Yeah. feels like it's so different from everything else. And obviously you hire Spike for a reason. To be Spike. To be Spike, yeah. yeah. And it feels well, like they've just gone, right, you, you just do that and then we'll film it. Yeah, and I'd love to know, I mean, obviously the, the French Revolution sequence was filmed in, in Britain. It was filmed at Blenheim Palace. Yes. Although I don't know where the interior scenes were shot whether they were shot in the UK or not but but I'd, I'd love to know how Spike came to Mel Brooks's attention because I know Mel Brooks was friendly with Peter Sellers because he'd wanted him mm. he'd wanted him to be in the producers years before yeah um, and we know that Peter Sellers was a fan of Mel Brooks because it, of that Parkinson interview yes where he comes in dressed as a German soldier and just recites the whole Kenneth Mars 
monologues from the producers, if I remember yep. rightly. Yeah, I mean, what Sellers... was Mel Brooks a goon show then? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't mention it in his autobiography because no, no. I just read reread that. Um, he doesn't mention it in there at all, but. It he would, be, but, but but no doubt he would be he would be aware of Milligan because funny you know he he would he moves in those circles he would know Milligan I guess he would know of his reputation uh, but I'm just wondering you know what the process was because I looked I've read you know I've got a couple of Milligan biographies myself and tried to find information about the making of this film there's nothing can't find anything but I'd love to know. Um, you know how what what the you know what the process was to get Milligan on board, but yeah, I I think Chris Milligan is uh, improvising most of it. Uh, the whole cat the whole cat got your tongue bit and uh, <laughs> and the bit when he when he falls on the floor in the king's chambers and he says put this carpet on the wall. <laughs> but this this just this even just as physicality. Yeah, and, uh, as staring into space. Yeah. And obviously, the thing he does with his voice is Pierre, <laughs> the, the typical Spike thing. But that whole because obviously he's he's meant to be sort of a bit like the Birdman of the Bastille. Yeah, yeah. the bit where he finds out that he's and he, he's just he's throwing these dead birds out the window and they make these plop as they hit the ground on the other side. <laughs> this is easily the bit that I laughed at the most. Ah! Oh my darling father, I have good news. You're free. Did you hear that, my little winged friends? Free, free! A chow! They shall be free! Fly, my pretty one! Fly! Wee! The sky is your playground! Happy landing! Mother! Around this time, he was doing that, you know, in the Life of Brian cameo he had. But he just sort of, ah, yeah. he just, he starts saying something, everyone walks away and then he just kind of looks around himself and then. Yeah, just sort of, just he, sort he does of, that thing with his hand. He sort of clenches and unclenches his fist and just he sort of does. walks off stage. Yeah. Stalks off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, you could almost imagine him sort of doing the, what are we going to do now? What yes. are we going to do now? Because it's, yeah. it's that kind of, I'm, I'm really not sure what's going to happen. here. And I haven't watched the film, The Three Musketeers for a long, long time, but obviously he's in that, well, uh, eight years Is before. He? Yeah, he right. Yeah, he is in the Three Musketeers playing the husband of Raquel Welch. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I would love to wow. do that for our podcast. I think we should actually. actually. Yeah. Um, the, only, the only reluctance I have is I got quite sad in the sequel. Well, we don't need to do the sequel. It's okay. Well, they tell Raquel Welch. Yeah. Really horrible and nasty. Mm. I as I say, I haven't watched it for thirty odd years. I can't remember. But I'd like to think that the character that Spike plays in this is is that character, you know, twenty years on or ten years on or something, the same character, because he's yeah. playing a Frenchman, obviously, in the Three Musketeers, um, who can't believe his luck that he's got this um, this wonderful wife in the shape of Raquel Welch. Yeah. <laughs> of course, the Four Musketeers killed Raquel Welch. The next movie killed Rory in the Yeah. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. 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 You could see Roy Kinnear in this film, couldn't you? I'm quite surprised yeah. he was. I mean, John Cleese nearly was. Was he? He was initially cast as Count, Count de Monet. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, but he yeah. was he yeah. was off he, it's scheduling. I, I'm not entirely sure what he'd have been doing at that time, like a planter's pretzel advert or something. I don't know. But um, surely, well, surely there's an obscure 90s rapper called Count de Monet. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's too good. But it's this is it's kind of interesting that it, it feels like this role was tailor made for Harvey Corman because mm. it's mispronouncing his name, yeah. which of course is the the Headley Lamar from yeah. Blazing Saddles. Yeah, Harvey Corman is terrific, uh, and I'm glad it's him and not Cleese as yeah. Count de Monet. Uh, I love that bit with his what would you call him his his companion who mm, Bernays. Bernays. Yeah, don't be saucy with me Bernays. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes I did laugh a lot that's straight from like that's like I'm camembert the big cheese isn't it from carry on don't lose your head <laughs> I didn't I recognized the guy who played his who played Bernays but I I couldn't place him and then I realized he was the guy in the producers he's Carmen Gia from the producers yeah, yeah. <laughs> Andreas Vatsulas, yeah. whatever his name is. Apologies for the pronunciation. Yeah. But just those those cheap name gags, like the Torquemada. You can't talk about anything. Oh, that's brilliant. That's really clever. <laughs> <laughs> they really they hit the mark. I, I yeah. do love shit gags involving people's names. I think they're brilliant. And those two are just yeah. awesome. <laughs> Wonderful. No one would ever suspect that his royal highness is really the lowly piss boy. <laughs> oh, this is never going to work. Please count the money. De Monet, De Monet. De Monet, De Bonet, Bonet. It's not going to work. I can't behave like a king. I don't know how to do king things. Please, look, see, see, I can't even walk like a king. I can't walk in heels. I'm no good in heels. He's good in heels. This will never work. Why are you doing this to me? What's this all about? Why are you dressing me up like the king? Why do I have to be the king? It's very simple, really. Is my hair all right? Dreadful. Well, fix it. Yes, you see, recently there has been a rumor about a revolution. And if this revolution should succeed, the first thing the people will do is cut off the king's head. Ah, but if there is a double on the throne, the king can remain in safety while they cut off the double's head. Ah, I get it. Whoa, I get it. I get it. But yeah, I'm just quite angry that I, wa <laughs> that I watched this <laughs> because I've always loved Mel Brooks. I've always found him to be so warm and likable in interviews and you know, I really love what he stands for and admired him. And I kind of like him a bit less now after watching this. Well, yeah, the king, the king, the French Revolution sequence. Again, though, it's it's bizarre, isn't it, Chris? Because you know, Chris, you're a little bit older than me. Um, Thank you. Quite a bit older than me, actually. Quite, quite, quite a bit older than me, significantly. <laughs> um, but watching it now in 2022 through 2022 eyes, you pick up on things that you wouldn't have picked up on 35 years ago or whatever at the age of. 14 or 15 when I first watched this film, I would not have necessarily felt uncomfortable watching. You would have laughed when a caveman bonked a cave woman on the head with a club and dragged yeah. her to a cave. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Have, exactly. But, but, yeah. but even the unpleasant things with the king, when I watched this, like I said, I would have been about 11 or 12 when things like the Benny Hill show would have been yeah. constantly on TV. So cheekily pinching someone's bum. Yeah. That's funny. That's a laugh. Yeah. You know? and, and, and this isn't just an extension of that. Yeah. It's, it's him grabbing a woman's breasts or, yeah. or mm. poking her in the bone. It's just, it's funny. The culture desensitized us, didn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're victims. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm not going to go into a whole, oh, you wouldn't be allowed to make that these days, because yeah. that sort of conversation is nonsense. You probably wouldn't be allowed to make it these days. Yeah. Good. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Because it's kind of unacceptable. Mm. Well, I was looking at what other comedy films came out around this time in 81. Uh, and they're all sophisticated comedy films, of course, like Stripes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Quite objectionable. Uh, Arthur. Featuring notorious nice man to woman Bill Murray. Mm, yeah. mm. He's great and he always <laughs> loves him. Yeah. Arthur. Now, Arthur's Arthur. been yeah. enough for a while, but I've between the moon and New York City. Mm. And of course, of course, not forgetting Condor Man. Oh, wow. When you put it that way, Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> this is my favorite comedy of 1981. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to put it into some sort of context, th- this film was released on the same day as another, let's call it, period piece uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yeah. Ooh, okay. It was released on the same day as this. Oh. And that didn't cost much more money than this. Yeah. And w- w- this film feels like it was made 30 years earlier than something like Raiders. Well, Raiders does have some problematic moments. It does, but quality-wise. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's funnier as well. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And it's got... To be great... fair to Brooks, he, you know, he was trying to do some... Trying to be kind of brainy mm. with this. Yeah. yeah. You're always going to compare it to his best work. Yeah. So you, you're obviously going to say it's nowhere near as good as Young Frankenstein no. and Blazing Saddles. No. And, and the difference is the, the subjects that he's... Well, he's not parodying, parodying sort of James Whale horror movies in no. Young Frankenstein. He's making one. He's making one. Um, yeah. And that's done with love. That's done with yeah. affection. In, in a similar sort of way, Blazing Saddles, you can tell he loves the genre yeah. he's sending up. Yeah. But with this, he's just poking his finger at it and yeah. taking the piss out. It's a completely different stance. And, and even high anxiety, you know, he, he worshipped. Yeah, yeah. And it was yes. on beforehand and, mm. you know, yeah. The thing is, the more successful you get, the more power you have in Hollywood, the more power you have, the less people can can kind of restrain you or tell you to tone down some of your excesses. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that's definitely the case with this one. Like I said, he was he was the sole writer, sole yeah. producer and the director of this. Yeah. He, he had a very, very good relationship with Alan Ladd at Fox, who'd made the previous of or Laddie, as everyone calls him. Yeah. And he, he struck quite an amazing deal. Like I said, the film didn't make much money, but he did. Yeah, because yeah. he made a deal with Alan Ladd that Fox would keep US distribution rights, but Brooks films would have foreign distribution rights. Okay. And this film did very, very well in Europe. Yeah. And he made a fortune out of this film, an absolute fortune. Right. right. Yeah. Laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah. And, mm. and so basically, Tyler, you're saying this is kind of like Mel Brooks's Jar Jar Binks moment. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, guys, I have to ask. Well, I'll start with you, Chris. <laughs> Wait, whose who's podcast is <laughs> <Yes>. this? <laughs> Chris, is it still any good? Um, no, it's not still any good. And <laughs> it is probably my age when I first saw it that it would have felt nice and fresh and a bit cheeky and a bit naughty when I was a preteen, but. No, it's it's not a very good film for all the reasons that we've covered. Mm. It's not really a film. It's it's plotless. I know it's a it's an anthology, but but none of them really got any strong stories. He's just done a few mostly weak jokes and just draped a, a, a bit of a plot all around them. 
it just seems really sort of mean-spirited like he's just nastily poking fun rather than doing it with the same sort of affection that he does in his other films and yeah. there's some there's some good bits like we said um the the moses bit's brilliant the spanish inquisition is just a different class and and the spike bit is really really wonderful because he did it himself he didn't rely on anyone to write that for him but mostly no it doesn't work didn't mm. like it and, and Robert, you, you've already said this film made you angry, so I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, well, for a number of reasons. I bought it for $15. <laughs> so I'm probably going to watch it again just for that reason. Well, um, well you got to go back and look at the rubber chest. Yeah, exactly. I've got to. <laughs> I'm going to do that. Um, yeah, no, much, much for the same reasons that, that Chris has outlined. No. It's not good. I, I admire kind of the, the ambition of it. Like uh, on paper, it sounds like it could be a, a, a really funny film. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it became a vanity project for Brooks. The worst thing about it is that it's just, it's kind of rambling and unfunny and a bit boring at times. And then there's a little bit of mean-spirited misogyny and homophobia kind of peppered throughout as well which yeah I, I know it sounds kind of ridiculous to say it but it's not it's not good spirited misogyny um, <laughs> is there such a thing <laughs> well it's not, <laughs> it's not the good misogyny it's the really bad one <laughs> but I, I don't know there's definitely gags that that did make me chuckle throughout but as a film it, just doesn't work. I do appreciate how one of his chief concerns is Jewishness and Jewish comedy. And, and I do appreciate how he just liberally includes that throughout the film, right into the Jews, Jews out in space um, trailer at the, oh, yes. at the end there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, even things like the, the Esther Williams menorah yeah. rising out of yeah. the water, you know, yeah. that, that's good. So uh, I do admire that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I like this film slightly more than you two. I don't think it's a great you film. You like it more than you like us. <laughs> you know, obviously. You must hate us. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I didn't mind the film so much. I the bits There were bits that I found problematic, obviously, which we've touched on, but I mean, it's not a great film, let's face it, but there were, there were, there was enough in there. I was, I was tittering sufficiently that um, I didn't mind it too much. I think the, the standout bits, obviously Spike, as we say, the bit with B. Arthur um, in the unemployment yeah. office, yeah. Uh, the, the Moses bit, and, uh, and also the, the Last Supper. Uh, I just thought that those were, those were really good. Um, Mauser from um, Police Academy 2. It was, yes. Hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, enjoyed that. But there we go. And I don't think, I mean, I, I would say then it's fair to say that probably young Frankenstein was his, was his peak. Yeah. I think so. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, Tyler, perhaps more importantly for your format, the highlight was Spike Mulligan. But, but yeah. You know, I think that's fair. He, yeah. he acquitted himself very well. Mm -hmm. I mean, he even makes it to the final scene. He's on that it's cart, true. isn't he? He's <laughs> sitting in the back of the chariot watching his daughter get snogged by Mel Brooks. He's older than him. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's not, but may as well be. Um, 
so chaps thank you so much for, for coming along today and uh talking about this awful film thank <laughs> um, <laughs> you i really enjoyed that thank you so much yeah thank you for having us oh no problem so as we said still still any good is a what is it it's, it's not weekly it's what is it every other week or something like that you put it out closer to three yeah, yeah. We, we struggle some, sometimes life gets in the way mm. of our podcast but yeah yeah generally you'll once a month yeah sometimes yeah. twice if you're lucky yeah we do our best yeah and and if people want to listen to it, obviously it's available in all the usual podcast emporia. Um, it's it's kind of like this episode in in style, I suppose it's fair to say. <laughs> except I'm not always on it, um, but, but you do have guests, don't you? But you are on it twice. We, yeah. we sometimes have guests, and sometimes it's just the two of us. Yes. Um, yeah. Just no no real reason, just because really. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's not just films. You talk about TV shows and and stuff like that occasionally. You know, what have you got scheduled? We'll have our Christmas episode coming out. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, no, normally Christmas. around about <laughs> mid January that'll come out. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we must we must be due for one soon, aren't we? I think so. I think yeah. we did talk about Reservoir we're, Dogs. Yeah, I think we're going to be looking at we are going to be looking at Reservoir Dogs probably probably next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can do that next week. Yeah. And then we, we, we've got a few guests that have, have asked to, to come on and talk about certain films. So it's just a case of lining them up. We've got I know that someone wants to talk about Hudson Hawk. Someone wants to talk about the Bad News Bears. Yeah, we've got a commitments one lined up. Mm. I think even maybe oh, you mentioned it. I know there's someone who's who's been desperate to talk about Condor Man. So we must get Marek back on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, oh, must be desperate. Yeah, um, <laughs> I saw that recently. Actually, I watched that recently with some. friends. Oh, don't spoil it. Don't tell us. Oh no, 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 no. I won't. I won't. I'll just say. I, I'll just say. I watched it with some friends. Leave it Were at that. Were they still your friends? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but listen, I want to get you guys back in the future to talk about uh, the Three Musketeers. Perhaps we could we could oh, uh, oh, yeah. re- we could reconvene and uh, talk about yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm uh, deep in for that one. But listen, as I say, thank you, thank you so much, Chris and Rob, and uh, all the best with your future endeavors. And we will speak again, perhaps sometime in the future. That'd be great. Thanks a lot, Tyler. Thank you, Tyler.